In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. In many ways, Lent is emblematic of the Christian life, but maybe not for the reason that you'd expect me to say. Yes, it is a season of repentance, and when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says repent, he wills that the entire life of the Christian be one of repentance. That's Martin Luther's first of the 95 Theses, by the way. But Lent is emblematic of the Christian life in another very serious sense that I don't think that we often consider in our modern age. Lent is a lifelong battle for the Christian against the devil and the forces of hell that seek to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Today's gospel text for the, is the third Sunday in Lent. So starting way back a couple of weeks ago with Invocavit, uh, we have three Sundays in a row where Jesus deals with demons. Jesus confronted Satan in the wilderness a couple of weeks ago. Last week, he cast the demon out of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. And this week, he's casting out a demon from a, a man who was mute. And then also goes on an extended discourse about what we should expect when we confront demons in this world. With this focus that we find in the scriptures, I think this means that we have to take this threat seriously. They, we cannot simply discard it as superstition. So the first thing that we should do is that we have to assert as Christians that demons are in fact real. Satan makes his grand appearance in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 to entice Adam and Eve to disobey God's word. He contends with God over the life of Job in the book by that same name. We, we talked about how Jesus contended with Satan in the wilderness after his baptism. Much of Jesus' early ministry is spent in dealing with demon possession. And the Bible very clearly asserts to us that the devil is, in fact, real. So why don't we see things like demon possession at the same rate that we do in the scriptures? Well, here's what St. Paul says about the devil in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And again, in Ephesians 6, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. These verses describe the devil as a schemer. He's a deceiver. He is cunning. These words describe how Satan operates. Does that person who is a schemer, does he preface all of the statements where he's plotting something against you, does he announce that he is going to try to deceive you with what he says? Of course not. Do his schemes happen under the full light of the sun, or do they often happen in a way that goes unnoticed? Of course, it's the latter. By nature, these kinds of activities are subtle. The devil's main tactic is to work against us in a way that we may not be able to detect until it is too late. In his great little work, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis makes the point that the forces of hell now have 
a policy of concealment so that they can make us into materialists and skeptics. Seems to mark our age quite well, I think. We live in an age that mostly believes in only what we can see and prove to be true with science or observation. If I cannot see the devil in operation, it's easy for me to discard him as simply a cartoon character wearing red tights and horns and having a pitchfork that sits on your shoulder to get you to do bad things. But if there is no devil, if there is no evil, if there is no theological category of evil, it's much easier to say that there is no God. Satan is described by St. Peter as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus calls him the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. By his subtle craft, the devil would cause us to doubt God's promise and thus lead us into death. But if his policy is concealment, what does that look like? Well, to begin with, it starts with us. We are all conceived and are all born under the power of the devil. We will actually hear those words next week in the baptismal rite. And this is a hard pill to swallow for many. How can an innocent baby that's so cute and lovable, how can that baby be under the power of the devil? Well, St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." Or as David puts more simply, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It is not that David's mother committed sin when he was conceived, but it is in fact that he himself bore the weight of the condition of sin from his conception. But you, you have been baptized. You have already been rescued from the strong man by Christ, who is the stronger man, who comes and attacks the man and binds him and, and carries out all of his precious, precious possessions. But this does not mean that the devil is no longer a threat to us, because if we wander outside of Christ, he is there waiting for us. Jesus' warning about the demon returning to the house from which it came and bringing with it seven other more evil spirits than itself is not just a rhetorical flourish. A Christian can fall from grace. Make no mistake on that. And as the book of Hebrews tells us, is extremely, it is extremely difficult for a person who has fallen away from the faith to again be converted back to it guessing that all of us, or the vast majority of us at least, know someone who grew up as a Christian, but no longer considers himself to be one. Now consider that person. Have you ever tried to talk to that person about Jesus? Many times they don't even want to broach that subject with you. 
When we went to the Trinity auction, was that last weekend, Andrea? I think it was. Uh, Principal Darledge related a story to us about a family who had come to enroll their, ch- their youngest child in the school there. Their grave concern was that their two Ill- older children, who had been raised in the faith, had somewhere along the way fallen from it and were no longer practicing Christians. It was a rather heart-wrenching story that he told, and it said out loud, I think, a fear that many parents have. I know that I've had this fear. That I've told Andrea that one of my biggest fears as a Christian father is that one day my children will leave the faith behind. And God forbid that they do that. What makes it worse, though, is that this is actually Satan's active and stated goal in his work among us. He wants to pull us and our children away from the saving faith that is found in Christ only. So what's the answer? How do we save our children from that fate? How do we save ourselves from that fate? Well, first we have to remember that that question, the way it is framed, gets us off on the wrong foot to begin with. We are not our own saviors, and we are not the saviors of our children. We're not the saviors of anyone else either. I don't say this to be pedantic, but because... We should be set free from a burden that is not ours to bear. When the woman in the crowd at the end of our gospel reading raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed, that next word is a but. That's an adversative. That means that salvation does not flow from parents. St. John writes in the very first chapter of his gospel, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, but of God. We can't save anybody else. We cannot save ourselves. And that's a hard truth for us to accept, because our sinful nature wants to be in control, even when the ends seem so good. Can there be anything better than the salvation of our children? Probably not. I think this is why many parents are racked with guilt about their children who have denied the faith, and then why some of them are even in denial about that. They think, well, my kid doesn't go to church, but, you know, in their hearts, they're still Christians. Or maybe they've just kind of come to terms with it and don't want to talk about it at all. People loved by God. We have to remember today that Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit alone is the one who carries us to Jesus, who creates and sustains saving faith. And this Holy Spirit is promised through certain means, that he works through certain avenues. Jesus tells us that those who hear the word of God and keep it are the ones who are blessed. What is the answer to the question that is before us? Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it, who hold on to it, who will not let it go. As St. Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is how God, the Holy Spirit, guards and keeps us. This is what he is doing even right now as we sit in this room this morning. 
Hearing God's word in the divine service isn't just an exercise in extending your patience or your ability to pay attention as some guy talks in the front. The Spirit is at work here in those words that are being spoken to you and is creating faith in those who hear it. This happens when we study the Bible together. This happens in Sunday school. This happens at Lutheran Central School. This happens at home when families gather together for devotional time. In the hearing of God's word, God is grabbing onto you by the scruff of the neck. He's grabbing onto you and he is not letting you go through these means. As your life is then filled with the work of the Holy Spirit... And the devil and his evil angels are at your door trying to get at you. When the word of God is active and living in you, they must flee from you. Even as they fled from Christ in the wilderness as he spoke the divine word to him. So let's get to it. Let us commend ourselves to God by letting his word work in our hearts and our minds, not just a little, but daily and much. For Jesus himself has promised that if you abide in his word, you are truly his disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In Jesus name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord.